Welcome to Game Over Montreal, where the Maple Leafs have even the season series. It's 2-2. Two to two. Not something that we saw in last year's playoffs. It was never 2-2 two to two in that one. But hey, Austin Matthews has scored the first 50-50 since Mario Lemieux in 1995-1996. And listen, I heard it all over social media all night and leading up to this game that is not a true 50-50. Did he score 50 goals in his last 50 games? Yeah, he did. It doesn't matter if it's from the beginning of the season or not. So let's welcome in our guests tonight, Jeremy Taggart and Ian Tullock. How's it going, boys? How's it going? I'm doing all right. How are you holding up, Andrew? I'm doing great. I mean, obviously, you're both very happy right now. <laughs> uh, another win in the bag for the Leafs. Uh, still looking incredible heading into the playoffs now. Uh, what struck stuck out to me from the Leafs, and we're going to talk about the Habs, don't worry, a lot in this show, but I want to just get it out of the way quickly on the Leafs. I thought defensively in the first period, they just absolutely set the tone. Like, obviously, Matthews was on fire the whole game. It looked like every shift he was going to score. But that first period, the Habs couldn't get any space at any point. It was a different kind of Leafs, which is what we've seen a lot of this year is they are just way better defensively than we've seen in recent years. Well, I mean, I, uh, I would have to, you know, I'm not, I'm not an, an, you know, an analyst. I just, you know, I'm, I'm a, a very kind of old school fan. And when you say defense, like, yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of unheard of in, in my generation or maybe the generation before where that was like, wow, the defense is incredible, you know? So it's not, it's very different. And it's a very different feeling with the team now than, you know, 10 years ago or even six, seven years ago. Uh, it just seems like these, these young stars on this team, they just don't care, you know, that they're, they're not as uh, pressured. It doesn't seem as like the, the same dark cloud is hanging over them after every game with all the reporters and the pressure of being a Toronto Maple Leaf. It, it just seems like they're not as affected as previous uh, great generational teams. So um, obviously I couldn't be more optimistic because it's different. It feels different. And, you know, maybe it's because they have Justin Bieber coming in the, the dressing room all the time and I actually change like when there's like really, big celeb like that back in the day, like, you know, you might see the, a guy from Degrassi in the, in the dressing room with the Leafs. It wasn't, it wasn't quite the same. Uh, I don't know, not power, but just the fame part of it. Toronto is such a different city than it was. There's just a lot of different things. I remember talking to veteran uh, great hockey players that, that, said they would never want to play in Toronto for that reason. Just the pressure was too high and the scrutiny was too much. So I think it, they don't care. It seems like these kids love the attention. So it's nice to see. You've got yeah, to have some of those in there. Sorry, Ian. Go yeah. ahead. I was just going to say they're a big part of the reason the team has the puck so often. I know that you talked about defense. One of the things about Toronto that really fascinates me is 
how often they have the puck. I think that's their way of playing defense. I know Justin Bourne's written about this a lot, about how when they're forced to defend in their own end, you don't trust it that much, but they don't have to do it very often because of the skill that they have, whether it's Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, puck moving from the back end. I know they added Mark Giordano, who's a defensively strong defenseman that you trust in his own end. But I think they showed a stat towards the end of the game where Toronto had about 15 minutes of puck possession in the offensive zone to Montreal's roughly five minutes. That's just pure domination. And I know that there's a bit of a skill gap between the two teams right now, but a bit, I'm yeah. evaluating, a little bit <laughs> slight, just, you know, splitting hairs really. But one thing I really like about this Toronto team is how much they've committed to puck possession and they don't dump it in when they cross center ice. They try to get a clean entry. They try to make the next pass. And a lot of their goals are because of the fact that they didn't give up possession early in the shift. They tried to keep those passes going. And it's part of that Kyle Dubas, Sheldon Keith, Brandon Hawk. I like watching it. And when Austin Matthews is doing what he's doing right now to put the puck in the net an absurd rate, it makes them a really fun team to watch. I can't get enough of it lately. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that uh, I did note in this game was that uh, as strong as the Leafs were, that five on three, it very much felt like playoffs Leafs. <laughs> Just the not getting anything going there. And the that, that was that was that. Yeah, that was a little bit of the old school pressure. Maybe uh, you could tell that that. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe that is that is like they were entering the zone of like uh, playoff Leafs vibes where, yeah, for some all of a sudden nothing was happening. But you could kind of maybe uh, say the same for that last kind of empty net. Like there was so many chances. There could have been a goal that happened there for the for the Habs. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Is Sometimes you get lucky with the bounces, right? (laughs) And you need that. That's one of the things that stood out about this game as opposed to the last game between the Habs and the Leafs, where the Leafs were very dominant with the puck all game, right? But they just could not catch that lucky break that you really need to like pull out a game where a goalie is just absolutely incredible. And I thought Jake Allen started out this game much the same as he played the last game against the Leafs, but uh, with Montembeau and net. Which, frankly, I thought Montembeau was really solid tonight. Uh, coming in cold, allowing the first shot on goal. It was Austin Matthews on a little hip shot uh, off Chris Weidman's stick to get him going. But uh, pretty decent in relief overall. I thought he made some pretty big saves, especially in the third period, to keep it within reach. But that John Tavares goal, where he just kind of whipped it around on Rim Pitlick and knocked it in off of Harris's skate, that was the kind of goal that the Leafs needed Last year in the playoffs, that was the kind of goal that the Leafs needed in the last game, and they got it in this one. So, yeah, so much of this sport is bounces at the end of the day. Yeah. You can try to control the shots, make all the right plays, but if you go through every goal that was scored this season, I swear half of them would be off of a skate or off yep. of someone's butt or a weird bounce into the slot, and then it's in the back of the net. Well, these are too good. So Austin Matthews, would you call that a Van Halen, a 51-50? I don't know what to call it, but it's it's impressive, man. Like, I I just don't know. I've run out of adjectives for Matthews. It's like I've been so impressed by him from the moment I first saw him in like the Team North America stuff. And I was like, whoa, this kid's like plays like a fully grown man already. 18 years older. Might have been 19 already at that point. I don't remember. He was an older draft, but uh just incredible. Like uh, the guy that he reminded me of the most as a rookie or 
maybe even not a rookie, maybe the year in, was Yarmer Yager. Just the strength that he has to protect the puck and the way he uses his butt. But I, I think we can say now he's a, a better shooter than Yarmer Yager, which is a wild thing to say when you're talking about Yarmer Yager. Telling, it's talking about somebody being better than Yarmer Yager, but Matthews is something else. And what's wild is over the next course, like over the course of the next few seasons, if the Canadians can actually turn their franchise around a little bit and become competitive, the back and forth between Matthews and Caulfield is going to be incredible. You got two of the best releases in the NHL. This rivalry could be really fun. I agree. I mean, I, I think it's uh it's always fun to have uh, the back and forth between Toronto and Montreal. And I've got lots of friends that are Habs fans and, you know, it's just the best thing in the world to, to, you know, playfully have that kind of experience with your, with your friends. And uh, it's such a, it's so deep. And then if you go on Twitter, all of a sudden you just can catch blood in two seconds because there's some real psychos on both sides. <laughs> One of them hosts this uh, show. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm very nice. All right. Andrew's one of the nice guys on Twitter. All oh, of man. my trolling of Leafs Twitter is very kind hearted. I never say anything to me. Mm, oh. I, I, I can do some searching. I don't know, Andrew. We'll Pull it up. I'll, I'll be happy to see my greatest hits list. I'll, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> But you know well, what? I mean, I'm, I, you know, I'm talking about the people that, like, you can tell how angry they are. That yep. they're, they're just, you can feel the smashing going on on the keyboard. <laughs> yeah, there's there's some out there tonight, and I was like, guys, this is just a fun game. Like, <laughs> Toronto needs this win, maybe, but like, that's just jockeying for position. The Canadians are playing for pride, trying to like build an identity going into the next season. Enjoy the game. Why are we at each other's throats? Like, yeah throw some chirps in there. Cause that's part of the fun of this like sports, right? Anything yeah. where there's loyalties and rivalries, that's fun. But the people who are out for blood and want to just like go nuts on everything. Like uh, I, I had a few comments today from, from Leafs fans and Habs fans that just like Habs fans getting on me. Cause I said it was a 50 and 50. And like Maurice Richard is rolling in his grave right now because it's not from the first game. And it's like, guys, they, they only played 50 games. When Richard scored his, that's why it was a big deal to do 50 and 50 from the first game. There was only 50. <laughs> it's still 50 and 50. Yeah. He did it. It's I the know. first time in 26 years. Like it's okay to say that it's really cool. No matter what you say though, there's still like that percentage. I don't know. It seems like uh, a lot. You guys would know more than me because I don't really get into it or talk about uh sports that much because it you know there's other things going on in the world that are worth kind of fighting for or arguing your opinion for but when people are uh, start getting into it it's fun it's fun to watch but man like people are so passionate about it uh it blows my mind it really does have you seen any of the matthews for heart debate this past week i know edmonton media is not happy Oh, yes. no, really? I've, I've seen a lot of that and it, it's very fun, but I mean, I hate, I hate heart trophy talk because I feel like I kind of both sides it in a way because I'm one of those people who thinks that the most valuable part actually does matter to the voting of the trophy. But I see people take it to the point of like, well, you know, Roman Yossi, 
is the most valuable to the Nashville Predators, so therefore he should supersede Austin Matthews, who plays with Mitch Martin. I'm like, no, okay, listen, it's most valuable to the league, right? It's like it's not just to their team. Like the value has to be there. Like if if a team misses the playoffs, I think you have to account for that at a certain point. If they're not like blowing the doors off of everyone, if they're well, having a that has to be a thing. If it's most valuable player, what's the point of value if you're not in the playoffs performing at that level and like beating teams that are obviously better? <laughs> you know, that that that's where the MVP really has to kind of shine, I think, right? Right. And the other thing is you have a lot of people saying like, oh, well, they should just vote it as best player to make it simple because then you'd have like a, a clear rubric of how you should vote. But the best player award already exists, right? That's the Ted Lindsay award. And then you hear like media people being like, well, we, we don't get to vote for the Ted Lindsay award. And it's like, so what? You don't get to vote for the Vesna either. It still exists. <laughs> you don't need a separate Vesna award for the, the writers to vote. Like, who who cares? <laughs> like, let's just have the awards mean what they mean. And if it's hard to vote for the heart, fine. Well, can... I think it's that splitting hairs just for a column or a thread on, on Twitter, right? Just just so you can get the hot take of like, yeah, let's think about, you know, rethinking the the uh, the the way that these things are voted. It's like, come on, man. What hey, Andrew, while we're, <laughs> while we're talking about this, can I get your heart ballot? Because if I had to put one down right this second, I think I'd go Matthews in first. I think I might go Shesterkin too. Like I go Gaudreau three, McDavid four, and then I'd really have to think about it for five. I'm I'm not. I want to put Gaudreau in there, but that line is just so good that I find it. It's really hard for me to separate out. Lindholm and Kachuk from Gaudreau, right? So I have a it, similar it, thing when people say Lindholm for Selkie. I wonder how much of it is him versus Kachuk versus Gaudreau yeah. always having the puck. So like, I feel like Gaudreau is having an unbelievable year, but he might end up being like a fifth place guy. Like I'd probably have McDavid ahead of him because I know that Gaudreau is playing a role that basically everything around him elevates him and that's not a knock on him because he's still been spectacular but you see Connor mcdavid and half the time it's like he's grabbing his whole team by the back of the like the collar and dragging them up the ice to try to get a scoring chance and yeah i'd still have him maybe third just durkin is again so spectacular he had that little dip and now he's coming back and the only thing that knocks Shesterkin down for me is he hasn't played that many games like, I know he's had an incredible, incredible year, but you look at the last goalie who won the, the heart, and that's Carey Price, and Price played, I think, 66 games that year. Shesterkin's on pace for, like, 52 or something like that. Is it 48 It's just right not now. the same. Let me spin this for you guys the other way. So, because it does matter who the supporting cast is for sure. these things. So, who do you guys think have the best supporting role, like, the best you know, supporting cast for the, that, that, that person. I, I guess Gaudreau. that would be the anti-Matthews debate, right? You say yeah, that he yeah. plays with Marner, that he plays on an, a loaded power play unit where he picks up a lot of points. I could see the argument there. I can see what you're trying to say. I just, for me, a lot of this comes, I know you say the Ted Lindsay award is the best player in the league and the heart trophy separate, but if the best player in the league 
is on a top three team in the division and he's scoring at a 60 goal rate while playing great defense. At the end of the day, I just think it's easy to make that decision. Yeah, it's the same thing as what happened with Kucherov, right? Is there was debate when Kucherov won the heart. Was he the best player in the league that year? But he he did something that nobody had done since I think it was like Yarmer Yager in like 96 or 97 or something like that. It was popping 120 something points. It was incredible. Well, this is what Matthews just did, right? He did something that hasn't been done in 26 years. Scored 50 and 50. He started the season coming off of wrist surgery. And he was so cold through the first six games that I like Leafs fans. I distinctly remember on social media. We're like, oh, man, fixing his wrist ruined his shot and he's done now. And immediately just becomes Superman. But uh, like he just it's that. And on top of that, I look at what I discovered the other day, which I know uh, Ian saw was uh, over his last 25 games. Now, I don't know what it would be after this one, but coming into this game. Matthew's goaltenders behind him had a save percentage of just 81%, which is brutal. (laughs) Like that's brutal in the 1980s. Right. And despite that, when Matthews was on the ice, the Leafs were scoring 60% of the goal. So like you're dealing with bad eighties goaltending and you're still so dominant that you're outscoring everybody. It's just yeah. otherworldly. That goes back to maybe it's the other thing, like when they start to look like the old Leafs, uh, it, it 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 pairs down to the best of the best. And if that's if it's not if there's there has to be more than just Matthews. If that's the case, when the pressure is really on, and we're we're still we we have to see how that plays out because again we're about to get into the first round of the playoffs and. I'm sure like that that's so fresh the feeling of getting booted out every year. So uh that will be a whole, you know, just to get past that barrier into the second round will be a huge uh relief I guess probably for those guys too cuz it's got to be there. That pressure has to start to get mount. Yeah, you just get the Andrew, feeling. I like that stat that you brought up. I like the fact that you brought up that the goaltending has been so bad and the scoring has been unbelievably good cuz I feel like there's a good luck, bad luck kind of factor here that's been going on with the Leafs for three or four months at this rate where their goaltending has been pathetic and the scoring rates of Matthews and Marner are completely unsustainably through the roof. And it's awesome to watch this 50 and 50 for Matthews. It's special. We haven't seen anything like it since Lemieux in the 90s. What Marner's done since he came back from his injury, he's been unbelievable. He's been scoring at an absurd rate. So At some point, people like you are going to point out that that's going to drop down, that they're not going to keep scoring at this rate. And you say, hey, the playoffs are rolling around just in time for Marner's shooting percentage to regress down to the mean. And I hear that joke. But I'd like to think that on the other side of the equation, they're going to get some saves at some point. Right. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I'd like to think that saves are to come. But I'm a Leafs fan, so I know that good things don't happen around playoff time. Well, this is true. Although I do think like if the Leafs this year make it out of the first round, if I was any other team in the East, I'd be very afraid of what Matthews and Marner are going to cook up now that they know that they can actually do it like that. If it, every year, it just seems like once they, if they can get past that hump, they're really terrifying. <clears throat> Sorry, but they haven't been able to do it. All right. I've uh, seen a bunch of Leafs fans after that Boston, Florida, Tampa series where they played really well over that stretch. 
a lot of Leafs fans have said this year feels different with the way Matthews is playing and this role that they've been on lately. This year just feels different. Is that Leafs fans talking themselves into something good happening when it's definitely not going to happen? Or Andrew, does this year feel a little bit different from an outsider watching the Leafs? I mean, the Leafs fans do that every single year. So yes, part of it. But also, I do think this year feels different. But I thought last year felt different, too. So two well, they were goals. good defensively last year and then they couldn't score in the playoffs. Yep. It was weird. Two overtime goals and carry friggin price. That's uh, that's all it takes yeah, to ruin the confidence. I, I think it's, you know, no matter what team you are, or how, how many goal scorers you have, you have to have an amazing goaltender. Like every, like, I don't, I don't remember any Stanley cup winners that had an okay goalie, you know, it's Anthony generally Miami. somebody who's well. That's good. I mean, it's generally someone who's on fire when yeah. it's happening, and they sure they could have had a a peak at when they won, but generally it's like you have to have a a, a rock solid goalie, and you know that could be the uh, at the end of the day what takes us out probably. Yeah. I've got a question from Tmar saying, can we get Ian's take on the Leafs defense pairings going into the playoffs if everybody's healthy, please? No, we can't because we're moving on to the to the Montreal Canadiens actually now. This is a Montreal Canadiens show. We're done talking about the Leafs for now. Uh, Jake yeah, Allen tonight. Raging right now. People are so mad. <laughs> Poor guy. You want to oh, know about I'm Riley sure. Labushkin? How does Lilligan fit into the mix? No, let's move on. Is Rasmus Sandin even going to play? He's I don't think he will. Term, right? That sucks no. for him, man. Even, when, even if he comes back and is healthy, I think he's out of the top six at this rate. Oh, that sucks for him. He had such a good year going in. But anyway, uh, Jake Allen, uh, man, he's just been incredible uh, since he came back from injury. But this is an area where I don't know if the Montreal Canadiens this season are just hilariously cursed. But Jake Allen on a roll. Carey Price about to come back. Jake Allen blows out his groin. Looked real bad. Probably out for a while. Canadians just cannot keep goalies healthy this year. It has been an absurd parade. Uh, you know, Price hasn't even played yet, obviously. But he's been practicing like crazy. Uh, there was a big thing going around in, uh, after he practiced in New Jersey for 54 minutes and came off the ice with a big smile on his face. The Canadians announced that he wasn't going to play this week. A lot of behind-the-scenes rumblings that he might play on Monday. But now there's there's a couple comments saying they hope that the Canadians don't ride Carey Price like they've been riding Allen over the last little stretch because obviously he hasn't played. We don't know much about how his knee is doing. I don't think that they're going to play Carey Price every game like playing out. I think if anything, Carey Price is going to come back and play like every other game because it just doesn't make sense to redline him at this stage of the season. Yeah, I don't see the point when like there's no point to push anybody at this, you know, stage. It's kind of like cruise control to to golf season at this point. At the same time, you probably want to get him some games before yes. the end of the season, right? You've got this window. If you could get him playing somewhat decently heading into the summer, that gives him a bit of confidence, probably gives the team in front of him a bit of confidence. That you come into next year, reset, hopefully win the draft lottery, and you're feeling good with Shane Wright. Yeah, that, that's the main... You definitely <laughs> want Shane right Wright. There. There's a few people in the comments here. I saw one person saying, like, anybody else want Matthew Savoy over Shane Wright? I mean, I've been trying to get as many scouts onto the show as possible as we've gone, like, through April here, and I know there have been people kind of knocking on Shane Wright 
coming into this draft and saying like he's not a true generational player and that may be but uh everything that i've heard about him from the people that actually watch him game in and game out is that he's absolutely legit and in the right situation can probably jump right into the league next year and be a very successful center so whether the canadians want to push him into the league this year or not that or next year or not is another question but uh if the canadians can manage to get shane wright and they have their top two of Suzuki and Wright. That's a good stepping stone to rebuilding this hockey team. See, it's just going to feel weird them not drafting a winger and then trying to force him to play center. So that that to me is just going to really mess things up. But yeah, no, if I'm looking at this Habs team right now, I'm just looking at the building blocks moving forward. Cole Caulfield looks like a 30-plus goal scorer every year. I really like him. I know he hasn't done it yet, but... He's, again, like you said, you watch the release, you see the way he's able to create space for himself. The goal he scored the other night where he faked a slap shot and then backed up two feet into open ice. That's such a repeatable goal that you can score multiple times a year. I'm a huge fan of his talent. Nick Suzuki seems like he'd be a better 2C on a cup contender, on, on a true cup contender. I'm not sure if he'd be my 1C, but I like the building blocks that you have there in Montreal. Still feels like you're a defenseman or two short as of right now, but again, I mean, they don't have very many somewhere. defensemen right now. <laughs> Jeff Petrie finding his shooting percentage again might help. Well, he's going to be traded in the off season. So that's gone. I think the defense is where they have the most building to do. They have some good prospects on there. Like Justin Barron has looked good. Jordan Harris has looked good. Uh, Corey Schooneman has looked good. Caden Gooley is probably their best defensive prospect, but overall, those are still a lot of hopefullys, right? They don't really have anyone that's a for sure top four guy heading into next season. And I know, like Alex, Alex Romanoff has been solid lately, but still plays a style that is limited enough that I'm not sure I would see him as like a long term top four defense. You see him as one of those sheltered Colin Miller types, one of those guys who puts up good numbers on a third pair but can't quite make the jump. It's kind of the opposite of Colin Miller. Like he's been thrown to the wolves lately and like his underlings are okay, but his decision-making with the puck is still like highly questionable, questionable, especially in the offensive zone. He's uh, I saw a great comparison recently on, on the show, actually in the stream chat was saying that he could be like the next Radko Gudis, which is like, that's a good player, but Radko Gudis is one of those guys where he shoots all the time. And you're like, why, why are you the one who's shooting? <laughs> why are you choosing to shoot when you could find any other player on the ice? And that'd be a better chance. And that's kind of Romanoff is once he gets the puck in the offensive zone, he's either going to dump it into the corner or he's going to take a shot that most likely is going to go off a shin pad and clear the zone. Yeah, no, that's just, that's not efficient hockey. I know we're nerds, me, me and you, Andrew, we like talking about getting those shots to the slot, getting those high XG chances. And I think a shot from the blue line, especially when it comes from the boards, those go in what 1% of the time, maybe two. It's just, you're, you're wasting possessions at that point. You're just giving the other team the puck. I can just jump in and say that just for laughs uh, looks great this summer in Montreal. That's about, uh, <laughs> about the only tip I can give you. An analysis for the for Montreal this year. Get your just for laughs tickets because it's going to be a good one. Yeah, I'm sure it will be. I mean, at least they've got the draft this year that they're hosting. They've got lots of picks, so that'll be fun. They'll get to make a big pick in front of the hometown crowd, which is always fun. But uh, overall, 
lots to do for the for the Montreal Canadiens. And it, you mentioned Cole Caulfield, uh, Ian. I do want to talk about Caulfield because again, he's he's scored here. Just the kid looks unstoppable lately. Uh, obviously not Austin Matthews level because frankly, no one has been and likely will be for this generation. He's he's that good. But Caulfield has 17 goals now, I believe, in 27 games under Martin St. Louis. Again, shooting high percentage, but his shot numbers have gone way, way up. And part of the reason why that shooting percentage is so high is because he likes to pick them corners and he misses the net a fair amount. So it kind of if you look at his shooting percentage per shot attempt, it's a little bit less outlandish than you might expect. And overall for the season, his shooting percentage is actually not off very much at all. But he shot one percent for the first half of the season. It was crazy. Yeah, that's the weirdest thing about this season for him is watching him now. I cannot believe he scored one goal in thirty games under Dominic. It just doesn't seem right. We've all watched him play for a lot of years now, where the puck is off his stick in the back of the net, beats goalies clean from distance. How was he not scoring? I wasn't watching these games closely. What was going wrong? Was it just brutal puck luck? Uh, part of it, but also he he did not have anywhere close to the confidence to do things that he has now, like just far more tentative around the puck. He wasn't going to the scoring areas that you would expect. And there were people throwing around like bus talk as like he, he couldn't hang in the rough and tough NHL because he wasn't uh, you know, like driving the net or, or pushing play. And he was getting knocked off the puck a lot along the boards. And it, it just seems like once he was told, hey, if you make a mistake, we're not going to bench you. Like, Just do what allows you to score. Be dynamic. Be yourself. He was like, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to flip a switch and just start scoring as soon as the new coach comes in and not stop. It's been incredible to watch. He just, he finds space and his shot, his release is so good. It's well, it's something that I don't think the Canadians have seen for a long time. Like I asked on uh, Twitter before the, or during the game, he's the most, I asked, who is he the most dynamic have forward since? And the most common answer was Kovalev, but you had people being like, he's the best since LaFleur. <laughs> like, if it's a new coach that comes in and it just happens like that, it, it had to be some kind of uh, a feeling or something that was just not connecting with him, you know? And the, 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 whoever came in, I realized that this is, this is where I need to shine the light and boom, right? Sometimes you just get your sea legs with a different perspective. I know Marty St. Louis talked a lot about structure and not trying to box a player in, letting them make reads. Watching the Montreal Canadiens under Marte St. Louis compared to under Dominic Ducharme, what have been some of the tactical differences that you've noticed that allow their skilled players a bit more space, a bit more freedom to, to make plays in the offensive zone? Because that's what I've seen a lot of from Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. But I'm curious about the process and how they're getting there. Well, I'm not sure if there's necessarily something specific that they're doing in the offensive zone that is like structural per se. It's more just what you mentioned. It's the freedom to make reads and anticipate plays. You look at what the Canadians were able to do last year in the playoffs, and a lot of their offense came from disruption, right? Whether that's creating a rush off of uh, a broken play by the opposite team in the Canadian's defensive zone and going the other way or picking off a pass in the neutral zone. 
that was a big part of last year because the Canadians very successfully basically scored first almost every game after the Leafs series and then capitalized on teams trying to, you know, run up or try to get back in the game and take some risks. That was their main source of offense. Now, though, it, they're very aggressive in the offensive zone. You see Caulfield and Suzuki specifically are given more latitude to like extend their shifts for checking where normally you would say like to a guy, you got to go back on the like the back check, get into the neutral zone, start creating a defensive posture. Whereas now you'll see Caulfield especially has a lot of latitude to continue for checking once it seems like the opposing team has really good control of the puck and should be able to exit the zone easily. And he just gets in lanes and creates turnovers. And you saw it, I think, in some way tonight on the uh, Canadiens' first goal where Caulfield made that spectacular keep-in at the blue line where maybe another team might, or under Ducharme, the team might have already started moving back out of the offensive zone to create a defensive posture, assuming that uh, the the zone was going to be cleared. Now they're assuming Caulfield's going to keep that puck in. And... They're taking more risks defensively to create that offense, and it's paid off in spades. And Jeremy, you and I watch a lot of Mitch Marner, and I think it's a very similar thing. We're on the four check. He likes getting higher up into the place so that he can force a turnover. And if you pick off a pass in the offensive zone, all of a sudden you're in a perfect position to create offense. And you get the puck on Cole Caulfield's stick or Nick Suzuki's stick where he's intercepted a pass on the four check. He's one play away from scoring a goal and Cole Caulfield can just let it rip from there. Nick Suzuki probably looking for the cross seam pass to an open player. But I always like the idea of getting your talented, speedy offensive forwards. Tell them to take more risks in the offensive zone. Tell them to really go for it because if you miss, okay, we've got four players behind you who can defend, but if you're the one who makes a special play and is able to intercept the puck in the offensive zone, now you're in a very advantageous situation offensively where you can break down to defense. I think uh, I read somewhere that defensive zone turnovers result in goals against at a way higher rate than most other plays on, on, on a nice rink. So if I'm just trying to game my goals for, I'm, I'm telling Cole Caulfield, I'm telling Nick Suzuki, be more aggressive on the four check, intercept those passing lanes, jump passing lanes. And they did a really good job of it tonight. I'm curious to see if they continue to do it in the future because I always like those guys. They're talented hockey players, but if they can use that speed to intercept passes, I think it's going to do more for their offensive game. Yeah. I, I mean, Mitch Barner is actually a really good example because he does, he is very good at being disruptive, right? And I think that's what makes him a good penalty killer. And I wonder going forward, because Caulfield has grown a lot in his ability to challenge puck carriers, if they end up trying him on the penalty kill. I know he's just a little guy, but uh, Martin St. Louis used to play the penalty kill and uh, he was just a little guy too, although he had a much longer stick. So that helped him. But I, I just, you look at, at Martin St. Louis face after Caulfield scored tonight, the belief is very strong. Like he, he was just like smiling ear to ear. He loves that kid. It's very clear. And I think sometimes with a guy who's as talented as that, who's just in a rut, all it takes is that one guy who really has your back. And it was clear from the day that they hired Martin St. Louis that Caulfield felt that St. Louis had his back. And it's it's been kind of cool. I know that a lot of people have wanting to write off Caulfield's resurgence here as like, oh, yeah, the games don't matter. And that's why he's been great. But, man, the games haven't mattered in Montreal since, like, game five. <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> like, they've been out of it from the very beginning. So... 
There was you, you've been a, enjoying the post games. Matter. You enjoy doing the post games for all these games that don't matter this year. How does it feel to try to extract meaning out of it? Uh, no, it, it's not an issue, honestly. <laughs> Even when they were really bad, I still had fun on the post games. There's less to talk about, but it's just like I bring on a bunch of my friends and I I talk hockey. You know, it's the easiest job in the world when it comes down to it. Doing Leafs podcast back in the day, the tank season might have been my favorite season to actually talk about stuff because no one actually cared about the games. So you could talk about very specific, detailed things that you wanted to dive into. And people were like, did you watch the game on Tuesday? No, I didn't either. Why would you put yourself through that? <laughs> yeah, the, watching the games part was definitely the worst part. Uh, the first 45 games of the year, especially the last 10 or so before Ducharme got fired, where almost everyone on the team had just thrown in the towel. Just didn't give a shit. It was embarrassing hockey to watch. They'd quit on the coach. Had you quit on this post game show that you know 100 percent effort the whole time you know me i don't buy that for a second <laughs> what well, you guys you guys you guys touched on it earlier for a second but like talking about you know what's next for the team i mean it really is kind of like you know leafs fans are kind of enjoying this superstar and austin matthews and the supporting cast being fantastic and all this it's kind of a a peak, I guess, for Leafs fans. But like right now, it seems like it's halfway between, you know, having a either a young star in Cole Caulfield or, you know, is is it still Carey Price? And that's like we still have three or four years with him. Like, what well, as a fan of, of the Habs, like what do you A, expect and what do you B, want or need to, to get to that? you know, the happy place that we're kind of at. <laughs> it's weird, honestly, that you ask that because just in surveying the Habs fan base, I feel like right now they're more happy than they've been in a very long time. Like they it's. It's hard to explain because I know they went to the Stanley Cup final last season and, you know, the game six OT winner against the Vegas Golden Knights on Jean-Baptiste Day in Montreal was incredible. You know, like the vibe of the city was amazing, but it was still like during COVID times and there was still yeah. the apprehension. Like there were people who were like, oh, we're ruining our draft position because the team's not actually that good. <laughs> so there are still those people. But right now it seems like there's almost no one who's upset because they're going to get a very good draft pick no matter what. They're not going to win the next 10 games. That's a weird thing. There's only 10 games left in the season. It's game 72 of game over Montreal. I'm not ready for it to end, honestly. But people know they're going to get a good draft pick. They have a new management group at the helm that actually seemed progressive for the first time like ever. Canadians management has often been very traditional and like old school, for lack of a better word, mostly former players over the last uh, two decades, like my entire life. So you have a focus that you haven't had in a long time. You have a management group talking about how they're going to build not just an analytics department, but a research and development department that's going to be integrated with their scouting and their player development when the Canadians didn't have a player development department over the last 10 years at all. Like, there's so much hope right now now that the kids are also scoring, that everybody is just happy as a clam. It's it's really weird. 
maybe it'll change next season when people realize that it's still going to be a ways to go, especially once they lose Jeff Petrie uh, in the offseason for who knows what the return is going to be. But is that confirmed happening? I mean, the Canadians have said several times now that once they find a fit, they're going to they're going to do it. it. His family has yeah. been in Michigan the entire season. He hasn't seen them. Like it's it's an odd situation that involves like personal issues, you know, like it, it's a rough situation for Jeff. And I know that he was a guy who took a lot of criticism through the first half of the season because he was openly like just dragging the coach. In in post game interviews and stuff, and then when Martin Saint Louis came in, he like the first or second game of Martin Saint Louis, he was like, "Yeah, finally everybody knows what they're supposed to do in the defensive zone." <laughs> people were like ripping him for that too, but like he was honest. As much as Ducharme was handed a pretty crappy situation coming into this year with Price gone, Weber gone, Deneau gone, Edmondson out most of the year, Ducharme's entire tenure. Uh, this year, he he had no solutions. There's very clearly no solutions. Nothing was going right. Couldn't get the kids going. Like the simple things that you want to see in a lost season to give you some hope going forward. None of that was happening. It was an obvious mess. So like, I don't know, Jeff Petrie was right. Did he quit on the coach? Probably. But I don't really hold that against him that much. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, like honestly, if... <laughs> When you're not feeling it, you're not feeling it sometimes, right? Yeah, there's only so much you can expect. (laughs) I was just going to say, one of the interesting things about fan experiences and everything is how much expectations uh, impacts things. If you have no expectations and your team makes the playoffs, all of a sudden you're feeling incredible. But if your team's expected to play well and they only play decently, all of a sudden you're screaming at the second pair defenseman and the backup goalie and the third line left winger. And you're just, you're finding ways to get frustrated about a team that has been performing pretty well with Montreal. Clearly there's no expectations this, or at least after about the first week or two of the season, no expectations. So I think that has a massive impact on your outlook on a team, not necessarily based on their actual performance on the ice, but just based on how you think about what should they win? Should they win this game based on the talent they have? Yeah, probably not. So I'm going to be looking at Cole Caulfield. I'm going to be looking at Romanov's development. I'm going to be trying to see if we have any players in the pipeline. I'll watch the AHL team tonight and see who they've got. Yeah. And like the, the happiest fans in sports are fans of a team who's in the first year of a rebuild. The Cinderella team that makes it to like the end when they had no expectations and the team that wins right after they've won it, right? Not at any point before that. They're like happy to be on the ride, but there's like that anxious, nervous energy, right? I, I liken it to whenever there's a best on best tournament in hockey or even the World Juniors, Canada. Canadians are like, they're excited to watch the games, but the entire time is, uh, what if they blow it, right? It's not like, what if one of these other great teams manages to defeat us the great nation of canada and hockey it's like the only way we can lose is if we beat ourselves so they better not have picked a bad team this year and blown it for themselves you're more upset when they lose than you are excited when they win yeah (laughs) there's no there's no winning there yeah and i think at the end of the day he always like no matter how bad the habs are at least you get to hang out in montreal every night (laughs) you know what i mean it's a great place to it's a great place to go and drown your sorrows. 
This is true. This is true. I mean, <laughs> they seem to be enjoying Toronto. I think uh, Nick Suzuki was at the Jays game last night. So yeah, that's right. That's a, that's a fun thing for him. I know he's a Toronto boy, but uh, didn't seem to matter when it came push came to shove last year in the playoffs. That's for sure. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on before we go, because it was just really funny and kind of got my, my hairs up on the back of my neck was uh, Dave Jackson, former referee, kind of got into it with a couple members of uh, Montreal media earlier in the week. And I talked about this a little bit earlier in the week, but uh, I want to just bring it up on this show because I haven't had a chance yet. He found uh, it was like Stu Cowan and Brian Wild talking about how like everything changes in the playoffs, right? The goal, the type of goals that you score in the playoffs are different than the regular season. The officiating is different in the regular season and the refs kind of put the whistles away. And he got like really, I don't know. I don't want to say he was like uh, angry, but he seemed a little bit upset. And he was saying like, oh, well, here's the proof that we don't put the whistles away in the playoffs. And he put like a table of like the average penalty calls per game over the last several years. And it's slightly higher in the playoffs than in the regular season. And then on the face of it, I'm like, well, that's without context of how many infractions there are that you ignore. That's kind of meaningless, right? And then in the second tweet on this little thread he put, he said that uh, there are actually fewer infractions in the playoffs to call and the rest call it more tightly because players are very aware and don't want to take penalties in the playoffs. And at that point, I was like, okay, now you're pissing on my leg and tell me, telling me it's raining. Like, give me a break here. Yes, they're more aware and maybe there's less lazy penalties, but everybody's out for blood in the playoffs. You've got everything to play for. Everybody's cheating. Like interference goes from zero to a hundred in the playoffs. It's not even compare comparable. So I'm just, I like getting the perspective that we're getting more recently from former refs in like media and social media. That's interesting and valuable to hear what they think. But at the same time, I'm like, you're kind of part of the problem. I think that's true. Yeah, I think Connor McDavid might have something to say after going zero penalties drawn in his last two playoff series. I don't know how that's possible. The best player in the world isn't able to draw a penalty. But this is one of those things that's always fascinated me because I love looking up the numbers too. Me and Andrew were always on the spreadsheets all day, every day. And this is a trend that's repeatable year after year is that the penalty rates in the playoffs actually don't go down. We assume they would go way down in the playoffs just based on what we actually see with our eyes. We see someone get choke slammed in the corner and there's no call. And you're wondering, wait, what, that, that's that got to be holding or interference or roughing it. Nope, no penalty. You're allowed to do that in the playoffs. But then there will be a little tap on the wrist on the breakout. And that's a slashing penalty. We, we tend to forget about those. So I do think there's a bit of yin and yang to this. I think that. There's a lot more crazy stuff in the playoffs that you get away with that you wouldn't get away with in the regular season. But there are more makeup calls because of that stuff that I think add up to the point where it, it weirdly surpasses regular season penalty rates. And I don't quite understand it because I want to be the guy who says you don't call penalties in the playoffs. I see it. I, I'm watching these games. You don't do it. But then the numbers show that there's higher penalty rates in the playoffs. How do I compartmentalize that? I have trouble with it. I, I think to me what it sounds like in both of those arguments for, for the, the regular season and the, the playoffs, they're both kind of like a mindset. I think it's a you kind of have to have a different mindset in the playoffs than you do in the regular season as a ref and as a player. And the feeling is obviously going to be different because it's the playoffs. So 
Um, I, I didn't see a solution offered on either end, you know, like what, what could they do more that they don't in the regular season or what could, you know what I mean? It's like bring in robot. Like what's the actual solution other than like complaining that sometimes the refs are shit or overlooking calls like that. That's the way it is. The pressure mounts when you're in the playoffs and uh, it's not going to look exactly the same as, as a regular season when you check out the numbers on a piece of paper. Yeah, I think there's definitely a feeling that referees don't want to be, quote unquote, the reason why a game turned in a certain way. But there seems to be a lack of acknowledgement that not making the call is also often the reason why something happens. So no matter what, like the referees impact the game. They have to accept that on the face of it. And I think for the best uh, way that a referee can think about things is they're not the ones who impact the game. It's the players who make the mistakes. They're just there to call the mistakes. But the game is also way too fast right now, for, in my opinion, for the referees to catch everything. That's Even it. if they were had the best of intentions, I feel like the only path forward is going to be off-ice officials who can talk you're gonna to the bring refs this on up. the ice. You it's, always it's, bring my, this it's up. my main thing. If I was commissioner of the league, it's the first thing that I would do is bring in off-ice officials. It, they could be former or retired refs. They could be refs in training. doesn't matter. Somebody who can talk to them on the ice be like, hey, you missed this. Because you got situations where, like, do you guys remember who, I don't remember which Leaf it was, but last year in the playoffs, Eric Stahl full-on gave a Leaf, like, a DDT along the boards. <laughs> he, like, jumped over his back and grabbed his head and, like, smashed to the ice. And it didn't, it didn't get called. And I was like, how do you, how do you not call that? <laughs> Andrew, the thing you have to learn about watching the Leafs is that they just happen to play in all these clean games where no penalties get called on either side. I, I can't figure it out for the life of me, but it's a weird trend that continues to persist. I think if people are complaining about the refs in the NHL, they need to watch soccer or you know, just for like one game or like at least the Toronto or the Canadian teams when they're playing CONCACAF games or like that's shitty officiating or like True. I've seen some pretty bad NFL calls where it's like, that's really bad officiating, but I don't think, I think refs might be the, the best out of sports in terms of like getting it right. Cause like you said, it's fast. They're right in the middle of everything. It's a, it's so hard. The only time we notice things are when they do something bad. Every time they do something really good, we're never giving them credit for it. So it's yeah, a, it's a no win situation. I try when I see like a really great call by a ref, I like try to tweet that out. Cause like if you're only shitting on them all the time, it's just not fair. Right. We all, we do have to recognize like they don't take shifts. Yeah, right? exactly. these, these guys are like in their forties and fifties skating for 60 plus minutes every game. And their schedules are insane. They're flying all over the place. And I know that uh, Gord Miller had a tweet thread earlier this year that there's been like several severe long-term injuries among the refs guild this year. So they're shorthanded and COVID has kept guys out like they're dealing with stuff too. But I, I think the league needs to do a better job at supporting them as well with True. like clear directives and off ice officials. I'm, I'm going back to it. I'm going back to it. I'm never going <laughs> to give it up until they do it. Never going to give it up. Uh, there was a question here. Uh, we'll do this last one and then we'll, end the show are either of you guys do you follow f1 at all oh yeah 
A little bit, not yeah. not a lot, but I'm I'm a fan yeah. of it and I respect it for sure. I'm a big Red Bull Max Verstappen guy here. Oh, the worst. Oh, buddy. Ian. Before last season started, so I consider myself a true fan. Oh, that's disgusting. Christian <laughs> Horner, biggest whiner in the sport. Oh, I don't like him. No, he sucks. I'm more of a Max guy. <laughs> yeah, I literally just got into Drive to Survive like a couple months ago, and I finished the whole series a couple days ago. And yeah, I'm I'm in now. Somebody asked if I was going to watch the the race tonight. No, I'm going to bed. Well, <laughs> not staying up till one in the morning. Just got to stay up till one a.m. and then it's like about an hour and a half probably of racing. I did yeah, see I that. Like, there's going to be a race in Vegas. That looks pretty crazy. Going right down the strip. Oh wow, that sounds awesome. That'll that be awesome. really cool. I, and it's a night race too, so that would be really interesting to watch with the lights and everything. Yeah. Like the Bellagio going off in the background. No, that'll be so Just cool. Ripping past the Luxor. <laughs> For the record, uh, Ian, everyone in the chat is booing you right now. So <laughs> <laughs> they hate us because they ain't us. Sorry, sorry. Who won the championship last season? Yeah, who who cheated their way into a championship last season? Mikey, Mikey, it's so not right, Mikey. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> Love so it's all about Carlos Sainz. Have you guys noticed Carlos Sainz looks like Andrew Garfield, but Spanish? He's very attractive. Know. So I don't know who that driver. is. No, he's one of the drivers for Ferrari. Okay. Ferrari's been unbelievable this year. I'm actually a bit worried. Yeah. It, I mean, Ferrari's been the most successful team in the history of F1, but they've really struggled now for like, 12 years a decade and a half. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been a long time. So it'd be kind of cool to see Ferrari kind of make it back to the top, but uh, we'll see. I feel like Max Verstappen is going to be the bastard to beat this year. Him and Leclerc have had some really good battles so far this year. I hope that continues. Absolutely. All right. We'll wrap it up there on game 72 of game over Montreal. Thank you both so much for coming on and uh, thank everyone for thanks everyone for tuning in. We've got 10 more of these. It's crazy that we're getting to this point. And uh, if you're still watching, if you're from Toronto or Edmonton or Calgary or Winnipeg, you can go to sdpn.ca slash careers right now because we're launching more game over shows and you can apply to do my job. Don't worry. We're not going to ask you to do all 82 games. We're going to be building teams of people to handle this stuff because not everybody's as insane as insane as I am and signing up for this many games, but uh, go do that. Thanks for joining the show. Uh, first uh, Jeremy and then Ian tell everyone where they can find your work. Uh, well, uh, the Taggart and Torrens podcast is uh, going every week. So you can find out about that. We do live shows. We're trying to put some stuff together for maybe the end of this year. So Taggart and Torrens, the letter and Taggart and Torrens.ca. And you can find out on all social media fronts as well. We're all there. <laughs> Perfect. And uh, I'm at, at Ian Graff on Twitter. I'll have some stuff out for the hockey news soon. Next week, I'm flying out to Florida for a Daryl Belfry coaching camp. So I'm excited to get to talk to him one-on-one -on -one and probably talk about Austin Matthews release, among a few other things. So look forward to seeing that the hockey news soon. All right. Sounds great. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, there's a few few people who said we need more ian on the show i agreed until he said he was a fan of red bull so he's officially banned <laughs> from game over from now on unfortunately but uh thanks everyone for tuning in as always and we'll be back on 